0: It's time to awaken your inner traveler and zip around the world as money is sent to the people who rely on it. Welcome to Money Travels, presented by Visa.
1: My name is Nancy. I'm
0: 66 years old. I think the old-fashioned. Nancy lives in New Jersey, and this was the first time she had been interviewed for a podcast. So, as you can imagine... Nancy is wary of putting any of her information online. She barely uses email and she certainly would not give out her bank account information to some random website. No, I don't like that. It's just too dangerous for her.
1: I don't like it because I think that's too dangerous. Because if I put in my account number for online, I figured out somebody.
0: Take care. She's worried that someone will steal her account information and ultimately her money. That's what I worry about. And it's not just her bank account numbers. I don't like putting my phone number too. Not even her email address. And when she wants to send money to one of her sons or her nephew, she uses a more traditional method, even if it means paying a fee and going well out of her way.
1: I pay right there $5, $10, anything where I have to send to him the money. Then I don't have to put in my email, my
0: account number. Welcome to Money Travels, presented by Visa. I'm Indre Viscontis. On this podcast, we follow the money as it zips around the world, enabling our fellow humans to survive and thrive. And we talk to the experts who are building the tools that will transform the next generation of money movement. When's the last time you wrote a check? Maybe you remember when you have to plan ahead if you need cash for a night out. Before ATMs made it easy, getting cash meant hitting up your branch during notoriously short banking hours. Debit cards changed that, but by today's standards, they're not the height of convenience anymore. Why even carry cash when you can just send it digitally to your buddy when splitting the check? With the meteoric rise of third-party apps that make banking mobile... Moving money from point A to point B still means that sensitive banking information has to change hands too. And consumers like Nancy recognize the risks. So today... To walk us through how the latest innovations from Visa are empowering banks, third-party apps, and the consumers who use them, and making money movement more convenient and accessible, are Serge Elkiner, CEO of Yellow Pepper and Head of Product at Visa, and Lucho Torres, Chief Digital Officer at Scotiabank, Peru. So welcome to Money Travel, Serge and Lucho.
1: Thank you, Andrew, for the invitation. Great to be here. Thank you. Great to be here.
0: So... At the top of the episode, we heard from someone named Nancy, who's 66, and she's very reluctant to put any of her bank account information into any kind of app, even if it means sending money to her nephew is much more cumbersome than it could be. And, and I think there is a lot of sensitive bank information that has to be exchanged when we're moving money from point A to point B. So, Sasha, I wonder if you could tell us what you think are some of the major concerns that people have when it comes to security and fraud risks with exchanging money online.
1: Yes, definitely. I mean, everybody is always worried to give confidential information or information that's sensitive where you could use it to defraud said person, right? So if I give you my bank account and my ABA routing number or my Swift code or my PIN code to access my bank account, then maybe you can use it to take money away from my bank account, right? So it's very important to make everybody safe or feel safe when they want to transfer money and try to come up with the best balance between a user experience and the security of the transaction, which will constantly remain the top of our priority, both at Visa and, of course, most of our clients as banks. The security of the transaction is the priority for us.
0: Yeah. And so Nancy's in her 60s and that in some ways was less surprising to me that someone who's of an older generation than me, for example, might feel less comfortable. I mean, I know my own parents, even when debit cards first came around, that seemed like getting money from a machine as opposed to a person took some getting used to. But there was this one survey that I read that was done in 2021. It was a payments and mix collaboration. It was called Sharing Bank Account Credentials with Third Parties, Convenience versus Security. And they looked at over 2,000 consumers who hold primary checking or savings accounts in the U.S. and One of the findings I found really fascinating was kind of hidden in the weeds, so if you'll forgive me for a minute, let me tell you about it and see whether you think this is just an artifact of the data collection or whether there's something real here. Which is that there's this one figure that illustrates attitudes towards sharing bank details with third party apps from different generations. And most people reported that they were somewhat very or even extremely comfortable when connecting bank accounts to third-party apps. But there was one group that stood out. So 38% of Gen Z consumers that they polled were slightly or not at all comfortable. And that surprised me. That seemed like a high number because among millennials, that statement was only endorsed by like 18%. Even among baby boomers and seniors, it was 26%. So is there something about Gen Z that makes them actually less willing to share bank account credentials? Or is this just a weird quirk? I
2: don't think that's a particular age group that's different. I think when anybody else, Gen Z, all of them are concerned about, you know, having the data very well taken care of by their banks. And that's what we do, actually. We are pretty much the go-to place for you to manage all your mind. To move all the money, you know, on a daily basis, we have to uh, provide the highest standards of security, of data privacy, and that's, that's something that we take it very seriously. In the work we do to help our customers move money around, we spend a lot of time, effort, and money to make sure that all the services are above the highest standards of security. And of course, we comply with all the local and In our case, Canadian regulation for
1: privacy and security. What strikes me with that age group, and I agree 100% with Lucho, that I don't think any age group is different when it comes to security of the transaction or sharing confidential information. But what strikes me is that maybe they think, you know what, there must be a better way (laughs) to share information or to send money to somebody Versus giving my entire date of birth, account number, ABA, Swift, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe it comes more from, well, I'm not going to share it with you because I know that there are better ways versus somebody maybe slightly older, right? Baby boomer or millennial saying like, okay, I need to give it to you because that's how I'm used to share money.
0: Yeah, that was what I wondered too. It is true that most people don't have their bank account routing number memorized. <laughs> so, serge tell us about Yellow Pepper.
1: Yeah, so Yellow Pepper is a fintech that was acquired by Visa back in November of 2020. And we do two main action through our platform, right? We allow banks to connect once to our platform and then be able to move the money through different rails, depending on which use cases. And so they have one connection that gives them access to multiple rails, continuing with the philosophy of Visa's network of networks. And that's why Visa acquired a company. And the second layer of technology that we provide is our famous alias directory if you want which is the ability to use a common name so a phone number an email a social identifier as the data that you give a person that then in turns is linked to your financial information so in the back end we'll link it to your bank account your pants or your card number right? And maybe your delivery address and a couple of things that are confidential or sensitive information. But what you have to give to the person you want to transfer money to or from is simply your phone number, your email. And that's what Yellow Pepper and Visa Direct provides.
0: I imagine that makes it so much easier for people to send money or interact, exchange things digitally, as it just requires sort of one thing to remember, not all these different numbers. Lucho, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about Scotiabank Peru and how they use this fintech technology to give their customers what they want.
2: Sure. and Thank you for the question. It is still a very cash intense account, and people still use cash a lot for making small payments. We saw an opportunity to digitize the economy, to build a better society and more cashless, in our know, society. About four or five years ago, we started talking with uh, Yellow Pepper. When I say we, it's a group of banks, the largest banks in Peru, the Bank in Peru, ABBA in Peru, Interbank, pretty large banks in Peru that account to almost half of the market share in the country. So we started building up on the platform that Yellow Pepper provided to us. A 2 P2P payment solution platform. And about three years ago, we launched into a market, and it's been fantastic, Indri, that the adoption we've seen. We had one million users in less than five months. And three years after, we have 10 million customers right now making um, more than 20 million transactions every month. So it's been growing exponentially and it's been helping our customers really deal with payments, deal with, uh, with their money in a very easy way. As Serge said. Instead of using a 20 digit code for your bank account, we use a cell phone. We read the contacts from your cell phone and we send seamlessly without any friction and with a fantastic customer experience in small amounts to other people, friends, contacts. And of course, we can also make payments of merchants using really QR codes, you know, not just from the network that we put together, but also from other Companies like, for example, NewEast and EasyPay that provide different ways of paying. So
0: I wonder if you could actually walk me through a case in which, like in previous three years ago, four years ago, when it was mainly cash exchanged and now... How it works if they use this new technology? I'll I'll give you one example. I was in Argentina a while back, and I used a ride-sharing app to get to the airport, and the driver insisted that we pay in cash, which was odd since I felt like, well, but wait a minute, like the whole point of using a ride-sharing app is that I don't have to carry cash. That surprised me, and I wonder is that a kind of thing now that your technology would make more seamless?
2: Let's go back three years ago in Peru. If I was a taxi driver and wanted to charge for the ride and say, $20, US dollars, I was asked you to give me cash, right? Today, what I can do is I can just show you my QR code generated by the platform. Clean generates its own QR code. So as a bank, at customers, any of the participating banks, and we have today seven financial institutions participating in Clean, which is a platform I just described that we launched for years ago. If I'm a taxi driver and I'm a bank company, one of the seven financial institutions, I will be able to generate my own QR. And then you, from your phone, Android, you would open your application, your banking app, and then you would read my QR and then you will send to me the $20. That would be real time. And that would be without any cost to any party. Probably three, four years ago, it was in real time. It would take us up to two days for me to receive the money. And of course it would have a cost, a cost in terms of what cost to move money for one bank, but now it's in real time. It's no cost for any party for those small transactions payments.
0: So when did you launch Plin, this new platform?
2: Actually, we launched Plin in January 2020. We, of course, didn't know that time that we're just, you know, two months away from locking down. We didn't know that. But, you know, one of the reasons for us to have so fast adoption is because Plin is a way to move money without touching the choice. But, you know, moving money was quite more safe. So... A lot of the uh, fast adoption in the first few months and year, year and a half or so is because the economy went digital and a lot of retail operations, you know, buying things at the bodegas is that we was a way to help our customers not to use cash, not to use physical cards to do payments.
0: Wow, that's a really impressive adoption rate. Serge, can you tell us what role Yellow Pepper plays here?
1: Yeah, so it's major improvements, some exciting metrics to reach in the first year. For instance, we had said we were going to be between 200 and 300,000 registered users after year one. And after five months, we reached one million users with the plain ecosystem, right? So not only was it transformational, but the Peruvian population embraced it immediately and showed us that the innovation that Scotiabank and the other banks, EBV and Interbank, that were part of the consortium launched, was very important to Peru at the time. So we're a cloud-native platform, as you call, so very flexible, very secure as well in the way we've architected the platform. But we've proved to them that it was a very good foundation to start growing that Plin ecosystem from a single P2P transaction to what Lucho mentioned, a merchant being able to accept a payment, first through a phone number, now through a QR code. Funds disbursement are some of the next transaction that we're coming up with. We made some donation for charities through the platform in programs that Scotiabank was associated with in the country. So it's really a ubiquitous platform that's allowing the banks to continue growing that plain ecosystem. And since the acquisition by Visa, of course, in November 2020, we've only enhanced the platform and make it even more secure based on global standards of Visa, of course.
0: So, Sash, can you talk a little bit, though, about some of the risks that remain? Are there still some sacrifices that people make in terms of their security when they use this platform?
1: I mean, there's always risk Right, And that's normal, uh, specifically when you talk about identity theft. I think that has nothing to do with the technology, the platform or the bank. To be honest, everybody could be victim of identity theft. And that's probably the biggest challenge that banks, Visa and others in the financial ecosystem have to deal with in terms of risk. But we have very strong governance that were designed with the banks and Yellow Pepper at the time of inception of the program, Pling, that really tries to limit the risk to the minimum and does not allow bad actors to act that easily. So you need to be registered with your bank to be able to use the system. You need to have a bank account that has been opened with the bank. Your phone number, the cell phone number that you link to your account is the only one you can use to participate in the PLIN ecosystem. So if it's not the one you registered with the bank, you cannot participate with PLIN. right? You can only do a certain amount of transaction. You can only do a certain limit total volume of transaction per day, per week, per month. So we're trying to limit from a government's perspective, the system in a way that makes it less complicated for bad actors to really move money around without the banks noticing it. And we're trying to give the banks the best tools to, of course, secure the transaction the best we can, right? So between the bank's system and Yellow Pepper Visa system, we're really bringing all risk tools to the market to limit the most we can, these bad actors from being successful. So, I mean, the two-factor authentication, biometrics, and all the
2: different QD protocols that the bank has put in place, need to go through those before you get to PLEAN. Once you're in the banking application, PLEAN shows up as a service that you can use so you can send money to the person easily as we talked to a phone number, or you can pay to a merchant by reading a QR code. So it's pretty much a service that's implemented inside the realm of the bank application that is very well, as you can imagine, protected from many scenarios of cyber attack.
0: So how did Yellow Pepper enable Scotiabank to make this process more efficient?
2: The traditional ways was to set it to a 20-digit account number, and it was hard to do from an experience perspective. It was slow, it was costly. What Yellow Pepper provides us is a directory, a directory of aliases, where I can find you in that directory, but I can find you not either looking with your bank account, but looking with your phone. So please would read that directory, I would know that you have a phone number and that phone number is linked to your bank account whatever the bank it is you know i don't need to know that so i just allow me to read my contacts in my phone and when i see you i send it to a number and then it's going to be totally transparent and frictionless process for me to send you twenty causes as we discussed a minute ago so it's easy the other use cases where i don't send money to someone through a phone number but by reading a code all that is because there is a directory behind it that Yellow Paper manages, which is basically what's making it simple, linking accounts to phone numbers and to QR codes, which at the very end are phone numbers.
0: I wonder if maybe, Serge, you could answer this question about the sort of psychology behind using a QR code. It does feel as if it's less risky to click on a QR code and have things linked up directly than, say, like entering personal information, even your name or your phone number. I wonder if you could talk about the impact that using a QR code might have had in terms of acceptance of this technology.
1: The QR code is great when you're physically present with the person, right? So if you are in presence of the person or the merchant that you're trying to pay, then it makes a lot of sense to scan a QR code because somebody presents you the QR code, whether it's on their phone or whether it's a static QR code on a sheet of paper, like you've seen in many places of the world, right? You scan it and then all the information of that person or merchant is right there for you to then transact with them. But... When you're not next to the person, then, you know, you know the phone number of your cousin that you want to send money to or your maid or somebody you want to split the bill from the restaurant. So at the end, it's both form factors together make for the best ubiquity of the transaction and the most secure way, right? So you can transact remote and you can transact presential.
0: Lucho, I wonder if we could talk a little bit about Peru and its culture and what, you think really drove this very quick acceptance that seemed to surprise both you <laughs> and Serge? Tell us a little bit about the culture of Peru and what are some of the unique challenges that you faced, but also what you think underlies this high acceptance rate.
2: I expected that we expected a thousand people in the platform in the first year. I would have made it in the first five months. It was like, it was probably one of the fastest adoption products that we've ever seen in Peru having a million users in a few months it's something that was quite surprising to us. It's been three years now since we launched maybe in January 2020. You know, we have almost 20 million users. So it's been growing exponentially. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Benu is a very cash intense society. And you know that it's very costly to carry cash, right? It's actually also dangerous to carry cash. And at the same time, you know, in Benu there's a demographic advantage. We have a population that's becoming younger every year. And that explains that uh, that in Peru, there has been adoption, very fast adoptions of platforms like these, of payment ways like these, and also of other, you know, digital technologies. Like, as we know in Peru has been pretty much, you know, coming from low penetration numbers in terms of phone adoption, smartphone adoption, internet penetration, uh, you know, access to social networks. And what we have done in Peru, what we see in Peru is an economy that's a lot more, I would say, inclusive and digital when it comes to solutions that allow people to move mind in an easier way, in a digital way. So we've gone from far high, but we're catching up at actually taking the lead in some areas.
0: What about people who are unbanked? Can they also benefit from Plin or from these technologies?
2: Yes, of course. So That's been a factor. Let me use that question to also talk about not just, you know, the unbanked, but also driving mean, much higher engagement of people to their banking application. Plin has been the driver of a very high engagement rates in our customer, meaning before P, less than fifty percent of our customers use the app for relevant operations. But P has raised that from less than fifty percent to more than eighty percent. Meaning that when customers get into the application, very few use it just to check balances. More of them use it to make payments. And actually, the frequency of access of logins has increased a lot. So before a customer would use the app less than ten times in a month, after P we're seeing you know, customers using more than 20 times in a month, so more than double the frequency uh, of a customer engaging with us. So, really has been a driver to become a much stronger value proposition for the banks to offer to their customers and non-customers and bank populations.
0: Saoirse, I wanted to ask you, there are other alias directories out there, but many of them are proprietary, local, not interoperable, which means that they're closed loop, they can halt or slow down payment flows. I wonder if you could tell us about how Visa's alias directory helps reduce this kind of friction and how does it work?
1: Excellent question. And that's one of the evolution of our platform, really, how can we then tackle that exact problem that you're saying, which appears both domestically and then cross-border globally, right? Where you have one, two, three ecosystem in the same country. And we're facing this in Peru as we speak, right? And how we can start then interoperating that we can at Visa. We've been doing that for the last 60 years, right? Where we issue a card or a bank issues a card in Japan and then can use it in Peru because it's the same network, right? So how can we do that in a very open network way, right? So back to the network of networks, we can connect to other aliases that are not powered by our technology. We use a piece of software that's called Directory Network Manager that the third-party alias directory connects to, and then the two becomes interoperable. So if you are in one ecosystem and you want to send money to the other ecosystem, we go ping that other ecosystem, resolve the alias, which means that we then transform the phone number or email or the nickname to the payments credential, give it back in an encrypted way, of course, to the issuer, that's requesting that information in order to transact and move the money between the two ecosystem, right? And we can do that on a local basis in a domestic environment, but we are also doing that in a cross-border environment. So if you want to send money from Peru to Chile one day, or from the US to Peru one day you'll be able to do that knowing the phone number of the person. Then you're in the U.S., you enter an app in the U.S., you put the phone number of Lucho in Peru, and then immediately he can receive money in Peru. And so all of that is what we strive to bring a global solution to the market from a visa standpoint to make sure that not only you can receive money between plain users, but as the banks have invested so much money and effort to create that ecosystem, that they can also receive from abroad money into the Plin ecosystem or have the Plin ecosystem be interoperable with cross-border outside of Peru.
0: I mean, I imagine one of the big headaches in these cross-border situations is the frequently changing data privacy and banking regulations that different countries have. How do you keep on top of all of that and make sure that the system is compliant?
1: So that's one of the most important role that Visa plays from a global platform to make sure that we are compliant with every jurisdiction where we operate and offer the services on top of how are the compliance changes and how are the privacy laws changes. So I think being that global brand that stands for security, compliance, global reach, we have to stand by that promise To our customer to make sure that it works globally and because we work with the banks that's the key to the success of visa is that it's not one player that does it all it's a group of partners that partner together to be compliant with the local regulation or to offer the more secure platform together right so it's not one but it's many together that create those products and those ecosystems
0: and Lucho, I want to talk a little bit about the role of branches in this new digital landscape. From my understanding, often you have these local branches that people can walk into and they open up a bank account and then they become a customer for decades. So it makes sense for a bank to have this kind of local branch presence. And actually, Serge, you once wrote on a blog that after an in-branch digital acquisition experience, the customer is enabled for a mainly digital relationship moving forward and actually will then buy more products, do more transactions, will do so from home. So Luto, I wonder if you could talk about sort of what you think about Serge's comment here and what does this mean for brick-and-mortar bank branches?
2: That's a fascinating question, Andre, because what role do branches play in a transformation of a bank, of its customers? And actually, we paid a lot of attention to how do we leverage on the traditional bank to become the leading digital bank. So it's not that in spite of, but thanks to being a strong a traditional band, how do we become a leader in digital? First, we decided to build one platform for all, meaning for customers at home and also for customers at the branch. So we built the bank application thinking about customers using it everywhere. Could be at home or could be even in the branch. So today, in Scotia Bank in Peru, our branches, sixty percent of the products that they sell, that the branches sell, they sell it on the customer phone. So you jump into a branch in the Scotia Bank in Peru, you can do the live to see the teller, or you can see a personnel approaching you and say, "Hey, Andrew, what would you like to do?" And they say, "Hey, we'd like to open an account, or we'd like to get a credit card, a loan, an insurance product, or mutual fund." So you're directed to pretty much come up with your phone. If you don't have the application kind of downloaded it, if you do kind of get it and you complete on your own with a branch of personnel assisting you through the process. And that seems to be quite important because you and I can order a burger or we can order a cap on the phone. But what if we want to get a $30,000 loan? I mean, it's going to be harder for anyone actually to trust the process. But if you are in the branch, if you're with someone from the back and next to you Go to you, help you both your process. Your fears, doubts, uncertainties are removed or you feel better that you do that and if something happens throughout the branch that you can fix it. So that's been a fantastic driver for our customers to go digital and as we mentioned the search, mentioning is block, stay digital. What we've seen in trade is that if a customer goes through the in-branch digital acquisition experience, in-branch, right? And three out of four products the customer buys, we do that from home. So pretty much, the customer is moving to doing business with us from home. It has allowed us to streamline our branch operation, streamline our branch network, optimize it, and of course, transform it as well. Because we believe that we will continue having branches in the future, but they will play a different role. We expect branches to move out from that space and move into higher value, more complex interactions. So the branches, in the case of Scotia Bank, Blue Happy quite fundamental in our transformation.
0: I think Nancy, who we heard from the top of the show, she would much prefer to physically go to a place to exchange the money. And I think that will still be the case with a lot of these, as you mentioned, sort of complex or very high value transactions, say, you know, getting a mortgage or getting a big loan. But you know, (laughs) I wanted to mention, there's a storefront near my house that looks just like a traditional bank branch, but it's basically a room with a bunch of screens. Through which you can connect to tellers remotely. And so I wondered, like, is, you know, I mean, I guess that's an experiment that's happening. Is that going to be enough of a human interaction that the person feels safe? But Lucha, I wondered if you could tell us what is the future of the teller's job? I mean, you mentioned they're going to have to sort of maybe be involved in some of these more complex transactions, but what do you see as the role of the teller in the future?
2: Great point. There will be, Andrew, there will be branches, there will be tailors. But the type of interactions that we expect them to have with our customers are different. Fewer and fewer basic transactions and basic product acquisition, and more and more financial advisory or dealing with more complex in the type of products that required collateral or specific documents or stuff like that. Also, we now we have customers that value physical interactions, and we will still have situations in which you want to talk to someone, right? You don't want to talk to a computer. You just want to see someone, probably you're making a decision about investment decision, probably you want to get some advice in terms of investment advice. You might want to get advice in terms of what options do I have to, you know, secure a loan for my my small business. So there's room for them to play in the next stage. They just have to acquire new skills and I'm sure they would be super excited to do that.
0: Yeah, I remember there was this one futurist who talks about how AI is going to change the future and what's going to be left for humans. And and the two skills that he suggested were going to be still important are compassion, you know, the ability to feel like another person cares about you because it's hard to think an AI cares about you, and creativity. And it sounds like you're going in that direction.
1: The financial industry, as the ex-CEO of Visa al our current executive chairman, always said, right, we're in one of the very few industries where the pie is not static, but continues to grow. Because as Lucho mentioned, right, many countries still perform a lot of transaction in cash. And the role of these ecosystems that we're bringing to life, the plins of the world, is to digitalize that cash, right? So the enemy, in a sense, is not like another banking transaction. The enemy is really how we can transform cash into a digital transaction. And plin has been successful at that for two main reasons that I always say when I describe the digital cash, if you want, is cash is accepted everywhere. So the ubiquity of cash is what makes cash very valuable in a sense, right? And the second thing is that it's instant. So when I give you cash, you have cash in your hand, right? So ubiquity and real time is really the two main value prop of cash. So now move that to plin you have both pretty much everybody accepts plin because it's so easy you just scan a qr code or give your phone number and get money from somebody and it's instant it's near real time because you send the money via your app and within a few seconds you have a plin the money is there right and the name plin so the ubiquity and near real-time value of these ecosystems is what allows us to replace that cash and make it digital. And that works in many, many stratas of the uh, economy. And as Lutro mentioned as well, that allows banks and, of course, actors, technology players like Visa to enable financial inclusion, to enable increase of benefits for people that before were not part of the financial ecosystem due to being remote, too costly to go to the bank, too costly to open a bank branch for the banks. Now the bank can extend those products digitally and include these people into the ecosystem. And it goes from traditional vertical into the city, all the way to agricultural verticals, which are so important in markets like Peru, right? So we're extremely proud at Visa to partner with banks like Scotiabank in Peru and globally to bring those product to life.
0: Well, now I'm just imagining being in Peru and hearing clink, 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 clink everywhere <laughs> as it gets accepted. It's, it's a very like, very, very solid visual for me now, or audio uh, soundscape. So on Money Travels, we like to end each episode with some rapid fire questions. So if you're both ready, can we start?
2: Ready. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay, Lucho, we'll start with you. What do you wish big banks would do more effectively when it comes to money movement? Cross-border. Okay, another one for you, Lucho. What's the most exciting innovation that you're looking forward to in money movement?
2: Sending money by saying it without pressing any button, just, you know, with my voice. And using my voice as any authentication input.
0: Okay. Serge, you have your next project cut out for you right there. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So Serge, what's the most common challenge you hear from banks?
1: The biggest challenge is that to make this successful, you need banks to collaborate, to bring new infrastructure to the market. And I think that's the hardest hurdle to start a project.
0: All right. One more for you, Serge. What aspect of money movement is more complicated than most people think?
1: To have it done near real time, securely, to authenticate the user, you have so many things that need to happen in the background to make it so easy for the user to be able to execute the transaction. That complexity is not very transparent to the end user.
0: Lucho, last one is for you. Can you predict the future of money movement with a single catchy phrase?
1: You
2: do it without knowing you do it. You don't think about breathing. You just read. You don't
1: think about pay. You just pay.
0: I like it. (laughs) So Serge and Lucho, thank you so much for being on Money Travels.
1: Thank you for having us. It was a pleasure.
0: Thank you. And thank you for listening to this episode of Money Travels. If you've enjoyed it, please subscribe or follow the show and leave a review so more people can find it. Until next time, I'm Indre Viscontis, and this has been Money Travels, presented by Visa.